Elizabeth Esty for the Emergency Medical Minute, bringing you another edition of the COVID-19 Digest, the podcast where we give you the numbers and sort through the most pertinent research on COVID. It's May 21st, one day after 106,000 new cases of COVID-19 were recorded worldwide. That's the highest number recorded on a single day thus far. Globally, we have surpassed 5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19, and 329,816 people have died of the disease. As many wealthy nations plan to ease restrictions and stay-at-home orders, COVID-19 has begun to take hold in poorer nations. Particularly vulnerable countries are those in Central and South America, where Brazil is now sixth in global COVID deaths, with almost 19,000, and Mexico has reported more than 6,000. It's worth looking at the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center map, where we get most of this data. The map indicates size of outbreaks with red dots. The opening view of the world map has the entire eastern half of the United States, by far the world leader in COVID deaths at more than 93,000, completely red. South America looks like the U.S. did roughly a month ago, and Africa, too, is covered with red spots. South Korea whose first reported case was the same week as that in the U.S., has lost 264 people to the disease. Here in Colorado, almost 1,300 people have died with confirmed COVID. At this point, with so many of the studies we've digested, exploring correlations, associations, observational studies, and anecdotal reports and speculation, we could subtitle this show, What We Don't Know About COVID. And so today, we'll look at what we don't know about vitamin D and COVID. There have been a number of studies and a fair amount of media coverage in recent weeks that look at a possible link between low vitamin D levels and severity of COVID. I'm going to give you a quick review of vitamin D in case you're rusty. If you're not rusty, skip ahead. There is no one vitamin D. Vitamin D is actually a group of related compounds, the most active of which is 1,25-dihydroxyvitamin D3, or 1-alpha-25-dihydroxycholacalciferol if you're in the UK. We mostly get vitamin D by synthesizing it in our skin with the aid of UV light exposure, with additional metabolism of precursors in the liver and kidneys to eventually produce the active form of vitamin D, calcitriol, which is actually a steroid hormone, meaning it gets into cells and activates or deactivates genes. So it's a hormone involved in calcium phosphate homeostasis and bone health. I won't go into the weeds with vitamin D more on the metabolism, but of real interest here is that vitamin D receptors are found in tissues all over the body, not just those involved in calcium and phosphate. Vitamin D receptors have been observed in activated T cells, in antigen-presenting cells, in macrophages and monocytes, and in cytotoxic T cells. This all leads researchers to speculate what other purposes vitamin D serves in human physiology. We know that vitamin D plays a role both in adaptive and innate immunity, which we discussed at some length in our episode on the BCG vaccine and COVID a couple weeks ago. Macrophages who are starved for vitamin D can't produce peroxide to kill microbes. And some of the toll-like receptors crucial to innate immunity that recognize pathogen molecules don't work right without sufficient levels of vitamin D. And finally, vitamin D more generally modulates the immune system preventing the release of too many cytokines. It's really alarming how many people on the planet are vitamin D deficient or insufficient, meaning not severely deficient, but low levels. 
Various studies at various times have estimated that more than a billion people on the planet are vitamin D deficient, and half of the world's population is vitamin D insufficient. The prevalence of patients with vitamin D deficiency is highest in the obese, in people who live in institutions like nursing homes, elderly, and hospitalized patients. 35% of obese subjects were vitamin D deficient in one study, irrespective of their age or their latitude, meaning as a proxy for sun exposure. In the U.S., 50 to 60% of nursing home residents are vitamin D deficient. Vitamin D deficiency is also associated with higher skin melanin content. According to the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey data, and it is from 15 years ago, 2005, in the U.S., at that point, 82% of Black and 62% of Latino people tested were deficient. But really, anybody can be vitamin D deficient. In the U.S., 47% of African-American babies, 56% of Caucasian babies are vitamin D deficient. Depending on what survey you look at, 35 to 40% of adults in the U.S. are vitamin D deficient. The picture is worse in other countries. 80% of adults in Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh are vitamin D deficient. So latitude and skin color matter, but diet does too. Some nations promote or require vitamin D fortification of certain foods. And higher rates of eating foods naturally rich in vitamin D, like fatty fishes, cod liver oil in Scandinavian countries, can make for unpredictable national pictures of vitamin D status. So with that out of the way, let's look at vitamin D and COVID. In a short communication published May 6th, researchers from the UK looked at average vitamin D levels in a country and total number of COVID cases and COVID deaths across 20 European nations and found a strong association between a population having lower average levels of vitamin D and worse COVID outcomes. The p-value the authors report in this not peer-reviewed work was 0.004 for the correlation between average national vitamin D levels and number of COVID cases, and less than 0.0001 for deaths. For our non-medical listeners, a p-value of less than 0.05 is generally indicative of a significant result. So they're finding really uh, strong correlations. The authors not acknowledge that this is a cross-sectional analysis with many, many limitations. Cases per country depends heavily on how much testing a country does. So the authors rightly point out that the correlation they see between COVID death and vitamin D levels matters more. They don't take into account how different nations' public health systems are managing COVID either. Nevertheless, they do conclude that there is a significant crude relationship between COVID death and vitamin D levels. They point out that vitamin D levels are severely low in elderly residents of Spain, Italy, and Switzerland, nations that have been hard hit. Vitamin D deficiency is a major public health problem, they note, for these populations because of both decreased sun exposure, decreased cutaneous synthesis, and for some patients, the kidneys are less able to do the final hydroxylations to active vitamin D. The authors say that three quarters of people living in institutions in Europe are severely vitamin D deficient. These authors also point out, as we have in earlier episodes, that higher levels of ACE2 are protective against worse outcomes in COVID and that the active form of vitamin D, calcitriol, has a direct strong effect on ACE2 levels. 
In a very similar study, a paper in the Irish Medical Journal finds the same correlation between average population vitamin D levels and COVID mortality and infection rates in Europe. And they conclude that the Irish government and public health agencies really should promote vitamin D supplementation as a preventive measure for COVID, citing what they call the, quote, strong biologic and epidemiologic data around COVID and vitamin D. They point out, though, that with an intervention as low risk and low cost as vitamin D supplementation, randomized controlled trials may be impractical on a population level. You really can't ask people to take a sham vitamin. But they do call for more observational studies, such as taking vitamin D levels at the time of admission for COVID and tracking outcomes. The Irish authors acknowledge that this data is all observational and cross-sectional, and that the potential for confounding factors abounds. They note that there are other micronutrients like zinc, selenium, and vitamin B6, to name just a few, which are also immunomodulators. Still, they conclude that mandatory vitamin D fortification of foods, a policy that only Sweden and Finland have in Europe, could help. So what about studies that look at groups of COVID patients, not populations? A 2017 systematic review and meta-analysis in the British Medical Journal found that daily or weekly vitamin D3 supplementation was protective against acute respiratory tract infections in patients of all ages. Not surprisingly, the strongest benefit was seen in patients who had very low vitamin D levels to begin with. It's worth noting that there were no adverse effects of vitamin D supplementation reported. There are a handful of papers looking at sick COVID patients that reach a similar preliminary sense that a correlation between poor outcomes in COVID and low vitamin D levels does exist. In a retrospective cohort study, Indonesian researchers looked at 780 COVID patients and found that most of those who died were vitamin D deficient, and most of the patients who were vitamin D deficient died. These researchers controlled for age, sex, and various comorbidities, and still found that vitamin D status is strongly correlated with COVID mortality. They call for randomized controlled trials of vitamin D supplementation for both prevention and treatment of COVID. An April 9th correspondence from a multi-center study in the Philippines grouped 212 COVID patients into four levels of disease severity and obtained vitamin D levels on all of the patients. Only a quarter of the COVID patients had normal vitamin D levels, and 85% of those quarter uh, with normal levels had the mildest cases of COVID. 37% had mild deficiency, 36% had a severe deficiency. Disease severity correlated strongly with vitamin D levels. Here in the U.S., a study of 20 hospitalized patients in Louisiana and Texas found that 11 of those admitted to the ICU were vitamin D deficient, while only four of the less sick patients were deficient. I am a broken record, of course, pointing out that correlation doesn't imply causality, It is, after all, a very common finding, and uh, vitamin D deficiency is associated with a number of disease states, with being confined indoors and with poor diet and lower socioeconomic status. So it's not surprising that not everyone is sold on this correlation. The Center for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford posted what they call a verdict on this. Their literature review finds no evidence of a causal link between COVID and vitamin D, and no studies suggesting supplementation with vitamin D could prevent or treat COVID. This isn't surprising, though, given that there are few definitive studies of anything related to COVID. 
The center authors agree that some evidence does exist that daily supplementation over weeks to months may help prevent acute respiratory infections. They point out that public health guidelines in the UK already recommend that pretty much everyone should take vitamin D, and of course patients who are deficient should be replaced. They acknowledge that vitamin D deficiency is a real problem in the UK, with up to 40% of the population deficient from January to March. The Center for Evidence-Based Medicine goes on to acknowledge that there is what they call overlap between groups at high risk of vitamin D deficiency and groups at risk of severe COVID, including people with chronic diseases, older people, and people with more heavily pigmented skin. The question of why people of color are so disproportionately harmed by COVID is critically important and one that we will address soon on this podcast, but not now. The researchers also point out that infants and kids and pregnant and breastfeeding women and people who cover their skin for cultural reasons, lots of populations have high rates of vitamin D deficiency, but don't also have high rates of COVID. The Oxford researchers do acknowledge that if vitamin D had a preventive or mitigating role in COVID, it would be a cheap, low-risk intervention. So really, their major objection is that there just aren't any randomized controlled clinical trials. They find that a number of RCTs are pending, though, some for prevention, some for treatment. They'd call out a crappy single-group open-label study that uses hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C, and D, and zinc in healthy healthcare workers. The same folks are planning to give the same cocktail plus azithromycin to sick COVID patients. In a lovely British understatement, the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine writes, it is unclear how these studies will meet their stated aims without comparison groups. And I would just add, it's just so perplexing that people are still doing studies that take effort and time and won't give you useful results. The center does acknowledge that there is some decent evidence that vitamin D has a role in preventing acute respiratory infections, especially in patients with low or severely low levels. They point out, though, that low vitamin D levels are clearly a marker for many disease states and not a cause. Patients with severe COVID tend to be people who are sicker and older. They'll have higher incidences of many micronutrient deficiencies and markers of poor diet. The only paper I could find that challenged the observational link between vitamin D and COVID was a paper, finally a paper that is peer-reviewed, published on May 7th. It looked specifically at the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 and low vitamin D levels on Black and what they call minority ethnic people in the United Kingdom. And they conclude that there's no correlation between vitamin D levels and having or not being infected with COVID. But this paper has some really odd features. The authors use data from a population health survey of a half million people in the UK conducted from 2006 to 2010. So the vitamin D levels they're using are at least 10 years old and some are as old as 14 years. Of this half million people, they pick out 449 who had COVID this year. Given that the United Kingdom recommends supplementation and that these patients are ones who've been tested and followed, for all we know, these were lucky people who do now take vitamin D supplements. Second, they look only at whether patients test positive for COVID or not. They don't look at anything related to disease severity or mortality. Even so, before the researchers correct for age, income, BMI, and other comorbidities, 
there is a correlation between infection and these decade-old vitamin D levels. And this may be valid, despite these ancient labs, but this study addresses risk of being infected only, not disease severity and mortality, which is really what we care most about. So without supporting clinical trials or better, bigger observational studies, should we all be taking vitamin D supplements? It is best to get your nutrients from food. So eating more fortified dairy products, cereals, some brands of orange juice helps. You can also find vitamin D in fatty fishes like salmon, tuna, and mackerel. And there are other good food sources you can Google on your own. Dramatic changes in diet are challenging for many people though, and few would argue that a person with a documented deficiency should consider vitamin D supplementation. And it would be hard to argue against recommending vitamin D to patients with known risk factors like lack of sun exposure, poor diet, darker skin, or obesity. But every intervention, even one this cheap, has costs, especially when adopted at large scale. And every intervention has risks. The only way to get vitamin D toxic is through taking supplements. You really can't do it through sun exposure or food. The main toxicity of vitamin D is via hypercalcemia, which can cause nausea and vomiting, weakness, frequent urination, might progress to bone pain, kidney problems, like the formation of kidney stones. Although vitamin D toxicity is very rare, it does happen. At least one case was caused by a manufacturing error and a mislabeling of a product. To get toxic levels though, a person needs to take between 10 and 25 times the recommended upper limit in repeated doses. This toxicity is usually reversible, but it may cause renal failure and arterial calcification. As I said before, these toxicities are incredibly rare, and they happen only really in people who are going ham with the vitamin D. Compare this, say, to taking normal doses of hydroxychloroquine, which has known serious toxicities and no evidence of benefit in COVID. And there's no contest in my mind that vitamin D is a safer, more reasonable intervention. And even if we ultimately determine the vitamin D status has no role in COVID outcomes, wider use might lead to better bone health and immune function. The Emergency Medical Minute is not in the business of offering medical advice, of course. So consult your physician before you try this at home. Thanks again for listening. And thanks to Nate Novotny for his help putting this together. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.